Good morning, All Seasons. Good morning, All Seasons. Come on now, y'all, you don't have to, it's just like, come on, you can bring the energy, help me out. You know, so uh, some some mornings it's, it's like, I hope they just scream as loud as they can. Good morning, just, just like wake me up and get me going and, and uh, but I'll just, I'll be fine. Don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll make it on my own. It's not, not necessary. We're on a series that we're dealing with called Vested. Uh, every year uh, we try to do a series on understanding stewardship, understanding what it means, and, and not do it in a boring way like just, you just need to give your tithes and offering. Understanding the concept, understanding why and, and the process by which we do it, and the purpose and the benefits. So we, we try to cover, and so we've entitled this year called Vested. What does Vested mean? So last week, and we'll just real quickly give the definition of the word Vested. We know if I tell you, you need to invest. You need to invest in something. You need to put your time, your energy, your, your finances, whatever it is, you're making an investment into a certain thing. The word Vested means you have a personal stake in its, in its success, something you have given something to, and you now have a personal stake in its success. Vested can also refer to something that's assigned to you. Just like I, when I marry people, I will say, by the powers invested in me. So the state of Mississippi, the church of God has vested me, given me certain authority to do certain things. So we use the word vested. By the powers vested in me. And so we also talked about the word invest, which means to give our time, our money, hoping that there will be greater returns than what we sow. A a, a farmer doesn't just sow seed and says, I hope I break even. Uh, Someone doesn't just raise cattle and say, well, I hope I just make a living. It's the mindset, I am making an investment with the mindset that I will increase, I will have more. Now that's kind of, seems weird when you're talking about God, but God does the same thing in Malachi when he tells us, trust me or test me in this place and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. See if I won't pour you out a blessing. Why is he doing that? Because he wants you to have a mindset of an investor, someone who's investing. When Jesus teaches in the New Testament about stewardship and things, he he always attacks it from the mindset of being a steward or an investor. In fact, now that we're in, in part two of this, let's take it a step further and let's understand that we understand what vested means. It means I have a vested interest. I have given my time, my energy, my money, something that I have invested and I'm looking for a success. I'm looking for a reward. I'm looking for this to pay off. You came this morning, not because you hope you leave worse than you came, right? Right? Everybody came and said, I know at the end of this thing, I'm going to feel worse than I did before I came to church, uh, but I, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to come every week and feel worse every time. No, you come because you're like, man, I'll feel better if I go to church. It's hard to get here. It's hard to get up. It was cold this morning. It, it's all of this, but I know that if I get there, Pastor Lot, every time I come, I always get something. Every time I come, even though it's hard, I gain something from it. Why? Because I'm making an investment into my life. Now, vested on part two of this understanding that when we're being vested trust then trust is the foundation of management or stewardship with everything that i'm teaching you when it's bored down to the core it involves trust god trusting you and you trusting god trust is the foundation for you giving your tithes, your offering, for you volunteering to teach, for you doing whatever you do for God. Whether you buy someone's lunch at, at, at a restaurant and just say, I'm just doing this because God's laid it on my heart. You are making an investment because you trust that it will do good. Notice the times when you don't trust. Maybe someone's standing on the side of the road with a sign and, and, and inside of you, you're like, you know, they need money. They, and what do you do? I don't. Why? Because I don't trust it. I don't trust that what I'm giving to is going to go where they say that they need it. So everything in my life, whether I care for someone, give to something, it is built on the fact of who I'm trusting and what I'm trusting. So let's look at this this understanding of stewardship, because that's the word we use all the time, stewardship. Well, let me give you the definition of stewardship and see if you can understand how this works as management. Look at the person beside you and say, are you a good manager? 
Are you a good manager? Are you a good manager of your time? Are you a good manager of what God has given you, your, your finances? Well, why is that important? Because we use the word stewardship. We're stewards of God. Well, listen to the definition. The noun for steward means a person who looks after passengers on a ship, an aircraft, uh, uh, and brings them meals, takes care of them. In other words, on a ship or an airplane, you have a lady or a man that is walking up and down the aisles, and what do we call them? Stewardesses. Oh, what are they doing? They're managing what's going on down the aisles. Do you need something? Can I get you something? Can I take care of you? So when we use the word stewardess, what they actually are, stewards are people who are taking care of, managing what's going on inside an aircraft, inside a situation. Now, if I use the word steward as a, as a verb, I know this is y'all looking at me like, he ain't preaching on no Bible stuff. Just hang with me. When you use it as a verb, the word steward means to manage or to look after another's property or stuff. The word steward means that you are managing someone else's property or someone else's stuff. We call them money managers. Do you have a money manager in your life? We don't call them money stewards. But that's really what they are. They're stewards of our money. They're managers of our money. Those words can be used uh, either way. You can flip them either way because they're meaning the same thing. Let me give it to you, this definition. The definition of stewardship, the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially when I'm, I'm carefully and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Listen. The emphasis there is on the latter half of the definition. The writer says, The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. That means stewardship is taking care of things that are not ours. They're things that have been given and entrusted to our care. They are things that are not Hours. Last week when we began to study this, what did we teach? That you're not going to live forever. They don't pull a, a, a hearse to, and a U-Haul together. It, it doesn't. Why, why were we teaching that? Because the first concept of being a manager or being a steward is to understand that everything that I have is not mine. Everything that I am working with is not mine. And the more we work in America, the more we get jobs, the more we buy our own car, the more we spend money on our house, the more we do, we get a concept in us that that's mine. That, that stuff in that shed out there, that's my stuff. That, that, that's my land. That's my, no. You are just a steward of it, a manager of it until you quit breathing. And then it's gone. You don't have it anymore. You don't possess it anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it isn't enjoyable to have it during the years. I enjoy my house. I enjoy driving in my truck. I enjoy, I enjoy all those things, but I have to keep in my mind to be what God wants me to be. I first have to have the concept that I am only a steward of the things that God has given me. For, for you that are young, the first thing you're a steward of is your body. What are you putting in your body? What are you putting in your mind? What are you watching? You're a steward. It's your, it's mine. I do with what I, I know it. That's the first flaw. You think it's yours. But it's not. You're entrusted with it for a short period of time. You're a manager of it. You are a steward of the gifts, the talents. Some are gifted in finances and make more money than some of us. Some are gifted in singing and can sing better than some of us. Some of us are gifted in business and can do business. But it, it doesn't make one better than the other. We're all gifted in our own way. Every one of you in this room is a steward of what God has gifted you to have. And the fact that one day it will be required back 
and that one day you will have to give an account for it is the fact of understanding that God has entrusted me for a short period of time for this very thing. Why is this important? Well, go with me back to 2 Corinthians, our main scripture, verses 6 through 11. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. And let's understand this and read this. And while we're turning there, let me ask you a question. Since we have this concept, would you hire yourself as a manager? Look at the person beside you and ask them, would you hire yourself as a manager? If, if, if you had to run time like you run time, if you ask people to be on time like you're on time, if you ask people to give effort like you give effort, and you are responsible for training others to do it the way the boss wants it done, would you be a person that you'd say, man, I'd hire myself as a man. If everybody worked like I did, if everybody did it the way I did, if everybody cared the way I cared, man, we'd have a great company. Would you? Let me give you a few questions. If I was hiring a manager, I love this kind of stuff. If I was hiring a manager this morning to manage the... All that we do at all seasons, that, that we're going to manage what God is doing. Well, let me ask you this question. As a manager, you will be responsible for coaching less experienced people. Tell me about someone you've coached before. Tell me about someone that you have coached that right now is sitting in all seasons because you coached them, grew them, helped them grow into the Christian that they are today. Tell me, explain to me and show me somebody that you have coached. Because if I'm hiring a manager, I'm hiring someone who has the ability to lead others. If you were sitting at the table, I would ask a question similar to this. What do you do when you're given responsibility for a project but not a very large budget to work with? If you're a manager and I gave you a huge project and I said, hey, this is the money we have, what would you do? How would you handle that? Well, if you've never handled your own finances at home and you've got three credit cards maxed out and you can't figure out how to get them to approve you for the fourth one, you're probably not going to be good management of all seasons. Does this make sense? In fact, the Bible, you say, well, this ain't biblical. Well, if you go to Timothy, he says, listen, if you're going to pick elders and pick, pick people that's going to lead your church, make sure they're a person of one wife. And make sure they can handle their house. If they've got unruly kids and kids that ain't acting right and they can't handle their own kids, then they got no business being in charge of a church. That's what Peter told Timothy. If they can't manage the little bit that they already have, if you can't be on time now, then why in the world would I put you over the time clock? I know this is just ugly. How do you ensure, how would you ensure that your team's values align with this organization? How would you maintain the fact that everybody understood, here's what we do, here's how we do it, and everybody's accountable to make sure it gets done? See, most people don't like managers. I don't do business meetings very good. They only last about five or ten minutes. Are you doing this? Why? Why are you not getting it done? Most people want to be friends. You ever read Jesus' writings? You ever hear Jesus in the Bible? He was friends, but I mean, he's the same guy that looks at them and many are leaving and looks at these 12 and he looks at, you going to leave too? I mean, that's, what kind of question is that? I mean, what kind of, they don't teach that in any management class. You going to leave also? Good time to get on out of here. Oh, he's just kidding. No, Peter had to answer him. He said, we would, but we got nowhere else to go. How good a manager are you? Some people are great employees. Some people are great employees. They're good people. They do what you tell them to do. They're going to make it. But very few make it to management. How do you ensure that your team's values will always last? Let me give you a few more questions. 
Imagine your assignment, an important task, but your team members keep interrupting you with the questions. How do you complete the task and how do you respond to your team? Tell me about a time when you dealt with a team member who constantly opposed your ideas. How do you deal with a team member who's constantly cutting your legs out from under you every time you give ideas? How do you handle it? Describe a time when a team management uh, managed to uh, achieve ambitious goals you set. How do you support and motivate them? What is your approach to delegating work to employees? How do you ensure that the tasks are completed? Describe a time you mentored someone. How did they grow? What are they, what were they doing initially when you found them? Where were they? Oh, and by the way, and what are they doing right now? Tell me what they're doing right now. You're a manager? Tell me what somebody you've ever trained and what they're doing right at this minute. Are they in church this morning? The person that you led to the Lord, the person that you lived in front of, are they, are they serving the Lord today? Well, Lord, I don't like any of these questions. I understand. It's much easier to just come to church than to be responsible for the kids in your house or to be responsible for the people you work beside at work. To be a manager is a, a totally different mindset. If I had time, we would ask different, more questions. I've got hundreds of them. I love them. I study it. Describe a situation when you had to deal with difficult employees. How do you see a management role on teams? Tell us about a few books that you've been reading lately to help you become a better manager. If I was asking a Christian, tell me about your daily Bible reading. You're wanting to manage God's... If you can't read and you're not a learner and you're not growing, then, then what in the world do you want to be in management for? Well, why are you saying this? Because let's go to 2 Corinthians 9. Because what I'm looking for in my life is I'm looking for managers. I'm looking for managers. Because managers are the people that change the world. Churches are full. In fact, what are the the odds they say? They say 20% does 100% of the... Why? Because 20% of the managers, 80% are just coming. They haven't grown or developed and been able to say, I can handle that. Give me that responsibility. I can handle that department. I can handle that coffee shop. I can handle cleaning up outside. I can handle... And and sometimes it's not even the people you think. Just like we have Tim that's here. Tim doesn't talk. Tim doesn't say anything. But Tim's one of my greatest managers. I didn't have to on Wednesday night. I I I have to ask people to pick up things. People walk by stuff slitting on the ground. People don't even think about it. People that a lot of times should know to do it. But Tim on Wednesday night. I know every garbage can is going to be empty. I know he's going to walk with the rain, shine, whether it's raining outside or what, he's going to be walking to that dumpster. What do you think that's that's the person I like being with? That's the person that I can trust. Because trust is the key. I, I don't. It's not that I don't trust you to love the Lord. That's what we talked about being vested. It's not that I'm talking about. I don't. I know you don't love. You know you love the church. That's great. But for to be trusted, truly trusted, means that I'm being developed into a steward or into a manager. Here's the Scriptures. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap, and he who sows bountifully will also reap. So let each one, verse 8, so let each one give as he's purposed in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a... Do you get it? God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency and all things may may an abundance for every good work. Notice what He's giving the abundance for. Why is He giving you more stuff? So that you can do more, more work. He understands that somebody who's a manager or a steward, I'm giving you more. People will always complain. I wish God would give me more. I wish God... No. That's someone who doesn't understand management. I meet people like that every day. 
I feel like I'm teaching a business class today. I'm sorry. There's a, there's a group of people that's always going to say, I wish I had what they I wish I had what they And then there's a group of people that understand that as I am able to handle what I've got, God and others around me will take notice of it and I will be promoted. That's the mindset. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. So God says, I'm continually growing you, increasing you. For what purpose? Which causes thanksgiving through us to God. The more I increase you, the more you keep doing. The more you keep doing, the more I keep getting glory. The more we do, the more glory God gets. That's just, that's just that much. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it a sacrifice? Absolutely. But understand the concept. Well, I'd like God to give me more. Then you got to do more. And when you do more, God said instinctively, I will keep giving seed to the. But if you keep asking the question, the craziest, dumbest question you'll ever ask yourself is this, or anyone around you. Go ahead and write this down. It's very important. What do I have to do? It's the dumbest question you'll ever ask. What do I have to do? You will always be stuck at the bottom of a pole as long as that's your question. Take it from somebody that's been in management, done management. If I hear that question come out of your mouth, you already done dropped to the bottom of the list. Just know it. What, what, what do you need me to do? Oh, okay. Well, here's what I need you to do. Show up on time, be here, do this, do you think you can handle that? Good, okay. I'll get something out of you. It, it, I know this sounds ugly, but you've got to understand we're not moving out of, out of just showing up. We're trying to become stewards. God wants you blessed so that you can be a blessing. And I'm going to show you in the Scripture that God uses this and He's very serious about it. Very, very serious about it. So hang with me. So two facts I need you to understand today. Two facts. I'm going to split this and Wednesday night I'm going to finish this sermon. No way I can finish it today. So I'm going to finish it Wednesday. But listen to me. Fact number one. Trusting God is a very difficult thing for most people to do. I'm going to go ahead and let you off the hook. Trusting God is a very difficult thing for most people to do. Why? Well, brother, I trust God. I, well, to a certain level, all of us in this room do. But to the level God wants us to live, let's, let's look at it. Why then is it so difficult? Number one, we really truly want to be in control of our own lives. That's built in us. Go with me in your Bibles to Luke 12, verses 16 through 21. Let's rehearse a story that we've touched on a little bit last week, but we'll touch on it again today. Then he spoke a parable. This is Jesus speaking a parable. This is Jesus teaching about what I'm teaching on right now. And here's what he said. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. Now, was the man in control of the ground? Was, was the man in control of the weather? Where, how, where did his blessings come from? God. His blessings came from God. He planted seed. He did what he was supposed to. And God gave him a blessing. God said, I have blessed you. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? There's a word that you're going you're to fall in love with during this story. The word I. The word I is one of the most popular words in this story. Listen, 
I thought within myself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Remember I told you what your problem is? You think it's... He didn't see himself as a steward. He saw himself as an owner. It's my stuff, my crops, my my stuff. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. I love how he just keeps talking. Man, he is is happy with himself. And build greater. Then I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul. So, now he's talking to himself. So, just listen to me. You have laid up goods for many years. Take your ease. You ain't got to worry about nobody. Don't worry about nothing. Now you finally got enough to where you don't have to show up to church no more. You don't have to give and nothing no more. You don't, you don't need blessings no more. You, you done, you done reached the point where you made it. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. We talked a little bit about that last week. That's never the way you want God to start a conversation with you. He doesn't call you by your first name. You know, it's good when he says, Moses. But if he walks up to you and says, and you just kind of wake up in a cold sweat and sleeping, it's like, fool. It's not going to go good. This night, your soul will be required. In other words, you didn't know it, but on my chart, you're having a heart attack tonight. I know you didn't know it, and the, and the cardiologist didn't see it, but but that widowmaker is going to shoot off tonight, and you know what? You're not going to make it through it. And somewhere in the night, your heart's going to stop, and you're going to die, and it's all over. And, and let me give you this information, fool. Then whose will those things be which you have? All that stuff you thought you were going to store up, because everybody in here thinks you're living to 120, right? You must, because when somebody dies of 80 and 90 years old, all of us act like, oh, it's so sad. Like you're surprised. I don't mean to be cold-hearted, but if somebody comes to me and, and, and somebody says, well, so-and-so passed away. How old are they? 93. Thank God. Oh, it's so, what did you expect? 94? Is that going to make it feel better? For, 96. If we, if we put you on Good Morning America and you do the 100 Club, Will 101 be good? No. It's nothing, and you will never be, as long as your life is about me and I and myself and all of it, you will never get enough. If he had lived another 10 years, he would have wanted to build bigger barns. He would have wanted to have more. The retirement wouldn't have been enough. What he, what, the wagon he was hauling wouldn't have been big enough. He needed an 18-wheel wagon. He, he needed three wagons. He, he needed a bigger house. He, it would have never been enough because he never lived his life as a steward. He lived his life as somebody who thought, it's my stuff, and I do what I want to do, and I do it the way I want to do it. Some of the maddest people you'll ever meet is people in hospitals, nursing homes. When I was growing up, my mom and dad used to carry me to nursing homes all the time. I hated it. Some of the meanest people. Why? Because the life failed them. I wasn't supposed to be in a hospital. I'm not supposed to be old. I'm not supposed to. What did you think? I've done, I, I, I have, I have retirement set up. I have, well, you shouldn't have set such a big retirement. You should have used some of it to do what God asked you to do. It's great to store up. It's great to have money to retire. It's great to be able to pay your bills and, 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 and not live in a, in a homeless shelter when you retire. I hope you, none of you end up there. But the fact is, having 10,000, 80,000, 150,000, 1 million extra dollars to die with is not going to make you any richer. You should have balanced it with understanding that it's not mine and that part of my responsibility is to be a steward of what God has given me. What's sitting in your yard right now that will never get driven, never get used, will rot, but because it's yours, nobody else is ever going to touch it? 
You don't think God one day is going to say, why did you leave that sitting there, that thing I gave you? Well, it was mine. What? No, it was never yours. And, and you didn't even need it anymore. But you kept it. Because it was yours. Luke 16 and 21 teaches us that we want to be in control of our lives. It's hard to trust God because we want to be in control of what we want to do and when we want to do it and live where we want to live. And It's hard. Number two, we don't really know God. Many of us, because of our limitation in this area, it moves to the next area in which we really never truly know God. I know God. I know He died for me. I understand all that. We're not talking about your salvation. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about a higher level of living. Go with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6, 25 through 32. Listen to what it says. Is this okay? I know this is, this is tough teaching. This is life-changing stuff. I'm sorry. This will make you happy, whether you got little or you got a lot. It'll make you happy because you realize your life are the gifts that God has given you, and you're using those gifts every day, and you're going to find your greatest joy when you're using them to bless other people, to help other people, to do your... You're going to find that life that you keep wanting that you can't find in your checkbook. Listen to what he says. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? Which one of you? I I live this because I wanted to be a professional football player. And in my mind, I had to be over six foot tall to be a professional football player. I grew to be 5'11". And in my mind, it was just, it was like I was short. I just wasn't, I just wasn't big enough. I I even took rulers and I would cut rulers an inch off of them and, and, and convince myself that that was a three foot ruler. You ever do something long enough to where you're like, you done forgot, you done cut the inch off of it and I'd keep, look at that, man, I'm, How tall are you? Two rulers. That's six foot. Yeah. But no matter how much I did, I kept worrying that I was never going to be enough. With all your worrying, you know, this old world's bad. Is it? How much worse is it than Paul? He got beat, shipwrecked, Stoned out in the middle of a courtyard? Imprisoned? How's your week go? I don't think any of us went through that last week, did we? And God had to raise you from the dead because they hit you too many times in the head with rocks? And we, our world bad. Really? Or is it just not as comfortable as you like it? It takes a little more effort, a little more sacrifice. It's a little less about you. You're finding out it has to be a little more about Him. Can't just get your check, show up at church, go through your know You got all this stuff to worry about now. Lord, you might catch COVID. You might be bumping into somebody. My goodness, you don't know what the economy's going to do. Don't know what jobs are going to do. He says, listen. All your worrying, can you add, in our terms, can you add one dollar to your pocket right now? No. Can't add one inch, can't add no hair to your head, but you still worry. So why do you worry about clothing? And consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, I want to ask you, just ask you real plain, do you know God? Do you know God? Well, if you do, then you can say this Scripture very confidently. 
Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. I know God. Do you? If He cares that much about flowers, what are you so stressed out about? If He cares that much about things that you cut, put in a vase until it withers and dies and throw it in the backyard. And he says, you're worth much more than that. And I clothe that better than any person that ever lived. When people want to see beauty, they don't take a picture of Solomon and put it in their vase. They take flowers. Solomon was never arrayed like these. And, and if I cared about that, now if God so cared about today and tomorrow's gone, will he not much more clothe you O ye of little faith, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or, or what shall we wear? For after these things do these Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows what you need. He knows what you have to have. Do, do we really know Him? Do we just talk about Him, sing about Him, but not really know Him? Do you know that He takes care of you every step of the way? Do you know Him? Brother says we don't explore. No, wear your mask. Do, do what they, be, be obedient to the laws. I'm not telling you that. What I'm telling you is, is that your trust? What you're trusting in today, do you know Him? Number three, I'm afraid you all going to get up and leave me if I keep going to too many of these. Number three, we struggle then with the concept then of faith. Go, go with me to James 2, 14 through 22. So, so we want control of our lives. This is our nature. We want to be in control. We, we don't really want to know God because to know God means we got to quit worrying about everything and just trust that He's going to meet our needs. And as He meets our needs, it creates more trust. We'd rather just worry and try to fix it ourselves and say we did it. And man, we've worked hard and look what I... Which leads us to the fact that we'll struggle with the concept of faith. James 2, let's read. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says... He has faith but does not have works. What good does it do you to say, oh, I got faith, I got, but you don't got works? You're not living it. You're not trusting in it. Can faith save him? Oh, that's a big question. Now, we're not talking about salvation of your soul. We're talking about can faith, can faith save him? Can it get you out of a situation? Can it get you out of a circumstance? Can it get you out of a problem? Well, let's read. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? In other words, you say you have faith. Faith has to be action. Well, 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 give me an example. He says, I'll give you a quick example. If you find somebody who has a need and you don't meet their need, do you really have faith? Since you don't own what you got, and since what I gave you is for the purpose of doing what? Sowing. And if you sow, then what am I going to do? I'm going to give you more. So do you really have faith? Because the moment you say, I can't help you, what I'm really saying is I can't let go of what I got. Why? Because I don't believe the one behind me is going to actually give me more if I give it away. That's called faith. I give because I'm a steward and a manager knowing that he who's given it to me will always give me more to give away. Wow. That's a big concept. Where in that does the flow stop? God said they'll always be poor, so it ain't stopping there, right? He said, he'll always be poor. So, so if you're waiting for the day when, when everybody gets a job and everybody gets well off and everybody manages themselves well, you're going to be waiting a long time. 
The problem is not on the other end because God says, I own the cattle of a thousand hill. It's all mine. In fact, Jesus, the last first thing he said when he was resurrected from the dead, he said, all things have been given to. You need it? It's in my name. So we don't have a problem with the supply. The problem is in the middle. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is... So can faith save you? No. Not unless it has... You can say, I have faith in God. I have faith people always be poor. But if I don't have faith to move, then my works kill it all. Faith without works is dead. The flow is shut off. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. Thus also faith by itself does not have works. It's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. How how do I know I have faith? Because of what I'm doing, of what I'm giving of what I'm, every day of my life. That's how I know that I believe. That's how I know, and that's how the flow keeps working in my life. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe in, remember we talked about, do you really believe in God? Yeah, well, he says, he's going back and he's, he's touching on this and he's saying, well, you say you believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. He said, well, even demons believe in God. And tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And he uses the illustration, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? So he said, God needed to set up a plan. There was a need. God didn't have a supply problem. God said, Abraham, I can, I can raise a whole generation of people through Isaac. I, I, you're 99 years old, but I can open your seed. I can, I can open uh, Sarah's womb at 90. I can fix all the problems. The supply is not the problem. Is anything too hard for God? No. So where was the problem? Abraham was either going to be the problem or the solution. The need wasn't going away. The supply wasn't limited. The question was, could there be an avenue of flow? Do you see that faith without working together with his works, and by works, faith was made by faith, God could supply the need. This is the way it works in all of our lives. This is the way. Go with me to Matthew 25. 14 through 30. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to give you that as reference. It's the story of the talents. Now you'll better understand that story now that I've shared 10 minutes worth of what I've shared with y'all. We've only been gone. What, 10? 10, 15 minutes. So we've done good. You'll understand better now the story of the talents. There was a master who said, I have abundance and I'm leaving town and I got three servants. Or I've got three what? Stewards. I've got three stewards, so that means I've got three managers. You're managing my stuff. They're stewards. They don't own it. They're just managing my stuff. And I gave one five, and I gave one two, and I gave one one. And I went away. Because I create... They manage. I came back, came up to the one with the five and said, how's it going? I've taken your five and I've made ten. Oh, you've done good. You've done good. You had two. Now how you at? Four. Wow, you've done great. I get to the last one. They had one. What did you do with your talent? Did you double it? No. Master, I buried it. 
I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want it misused. I didn't want to, I didn't want you to come back and me have lost it. So, so I, I buried it. Here is your talent back. No, no harm, no foul. Now listen to me. He was a great employee. He, he would have done whatever I would, if I'd have told him, now go to the bank and go put it in the bank and go, he would have been fine with that. But I didn't do that. I wanted to test him as a steward, as a manager. See, if God would just come down in a vision one night and say, I want you to use your talents for this. Yes, Lord. It'd be great, wouldn't it? But God doesn't do that. He gives you your talents. He gives you your abilities. He's given you your mind. He's given you everything. And then He says, I'm going away. Not, not, not out of your life. But I'm, I'm not going to hold you. You're responsible now for what you do with it. And the master is angry. He got his stuff back. He shouldn't be angry. He didn't lose anything, did he? I mean, I went to church every single Sunday. I, I did what I was supposed to do. And God ought to be happy with me. God's not looking for employees. God's looking for stewards. People He can entrust with what He gave them, and they can multiply it beyond what they have. He even says to the service that the least you could have done is gone to Brother Lot. If you'd have just went to Brother Lot and said, Brother Lot, I got these talents, and I don't really like them. I don't really want to use them, but they're yours. Can you find me something? To do? He said, at least I'd have got something from you. But you didn't even tell Pastor Lot what your talent was. You didn't even, you didn't even share. You, what can you do? Nothing. Oh, I'm good at nothing. Really good at nothing? No, I ain't good at nothing. Okay. One day you were going to meet God and God's going to come along. And he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Well, I started off here. And man, through, through work and investing and, and using my gifts, I got here. Wow. Come on in. How did you do? I took what you gave me and I doubled it. Wow. And he's going to come to us and he's going to say, okay, what'd you do? Nothing. What? I was afraid I would look. Listen to me. The master owns everything. What could you have lost that he don't already own? He's not giving it to you because he's worried about you losing it. Gives it to you because he wants to see whether he can trust you to serve. And many of us in this room, that's the biggest test we have. Is to ask ourselves whether we will serve. All right. Fact number two. And I got eight minutes. So doing good. Y'all think I'm well, I'm looking at the clock. I'm good. I got a clock. Y'all looking at me. I'm looking right at that clock. Now some of y'all turn around like, oh, we got a clock? First service we do. Fact number two. Trust then is the foundation. Trust then is the foundation of what? Of stewardship and management. We know that trusting is difficult. It's very difficult. It's hard for me. Right now I'm trusting. Somebody asked me a while ago when I was standing there, how you doing? And I just looked at him. I said, good, not great. You know, usually I tell everybody, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing, no, I'm doing good. I'm not doing great. Why? Because right now I'm under a very heavy load. Right now I'm toting, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm doing all I can do to get up and go. I'd like to just say, man, I'm telling you, I get up. No, it takes a lot of prayer. It takes, it takes a lot. I'm not trying to ask for your sympathy. I'm just telling you, anytime God says, do something, you think, oh yeah, I want to, let me tell you something. It sounds cool to be Paul. It sounds cool to be a Peter. It sounds cool to, to be the person that does something for God. But let me tell you the other side of it. It is a weight. That passion also is a burden. And so in that concept, it's tough for all of us to trust God. I'm not looking at you like, oh, i got it figured out. No, anytime God asks me to do something new, I, God, I'd like to be in control of my own life. I'd really rather not just go out here and just God, really personally, I, I really don't know you well enough to know if you can actually do all of that. I, I mean, I tell everybody you can, I, I, but, but I've never had to actually walk on it and actually see you do it. It's kind of like Peter walking on water. It sounds good. It looks great. 
Why am I here? Fact two. Trust then is the foundation for everything. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, remember what it says. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap. Trust is the foundation. It, it is how far you're willing to go. How much you're willing to put out there. Let me show it to you in a story and I'll be through. Go with me to Acts 10, verses 1 through 5. Acts 10, verses... This is a story of Cornelius. And I, I hear Cornelius preached a lot of ways. But, but never the way I'm fixing to show it to you. And really to me, this is the most important way. Cornelius, if for those that just want to know in the religious world, Cornelius is the man, he is a Gentile, he's the first Gentile to be, quote, brought into the kingdom, the church. He, he, he receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost his, in his whole family. We hear the story how Peter goes to his house and preaches and Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit and all of them in there begin to prophesy. It's, it's a powerful story. And man, us Pentecostal preachers, we can preach it good. Let me, let me just tell you, we can preach Cornelius. There's certain Bible stories that you can just say, preach that sermon right there. <laughs> you just stand back, get my coat off and let me just get after it. But I want to show you the real meaning, a deeper meaning of Cornelius. I want to show you a deeper meaning of Cornelius. Deeper than what a lot of people will go. Listen. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were, say it loud with me, devout and God-fearing. Read the next part. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God. See, we miss that. Why did God choose Cornelius? Because he could trust him. Cornelius was an employee who was fixed to get moved up to management. Peter is an employee. Somewhat manager. Call him an assistant manager. He's fixing to get bumped up to manager of the whole deal. In fact, the Catholic Church now, you know, recognizes Peter as the first of the, of the Pope, the first, uh, the, the head of the church. That's the reason they get the Pope and all that because Peter was the head. Where do they get that from? Because of this promotion right here. This story right here promotes two different people, two different classes of people. All because Cornelius and Peter are able to handle management. This is what it says. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Now, not only it was three in the afternoon, but every day at three in the afternoon, he set aside time for prayer. That was his normal routine. At three o'clock every afternoon, he would say, it's time for me to go. And he would go to a certain room, go to a certain place, and he would pray. And while he was there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him saying, Cornelius. And notice what the angel of the Lord says. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a Memorial before God. Promotion doesn't come from the east, the west, the north, the south. Promotion comes from God. How do I get promoted by God? Learn to be good at communicating with Him. Learn to be good at spending time with Him. And learn to be a good steward. And learn to be a good manager of what He's given you. When you do that, you're going to catch His eye. You're going to build a memorial before Him. And that's what the angel said. Your prayers... And, and all the stuff you've been doing, God's been taking notice of that you are a good employee. And God has decided it's time to give you a bump and raise. It's time to give you a promotion. Oh, I wish I had three hours to preach this, but I don't. He said, now send me into Joppa and bring back the man called Simon who is called Peter. Let me hurry through the story. Peter's part of this story too. Peter's sitting on a rooftop praying. He's a good employee slash assistant manager. 
about that time a vision comes, and on the vision he sees all these animals, nasty animals, pigs, different things, all on this blanket, and it comes down and God says, eat. And he looks at God and says, God, you know what the handbook says. The employee handbook that I got says we cannot eat this stuff. And he says, Peter, I wrote the handbook. If I tell you that it's clean and you can eat it, don't call what I've called clean unclean anymore. I need to promote you, Peter, but I need you to get this. Go with me to verse 22. I'm skipping through. You can read it later. Be a good study. The men replied, these are the men that Cornelius sends to Peter's house after Peter now has come off the rooftop and he done had a moment with God and he's done been told, you don't call unclean what I call clean. And, and, and the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. He is a good servant. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house that he could hear what you have to say. Cornelius don't even know what he's got to tell him. He said, I don't know what it is. The angel told me to come get you. Listen to what verse 25 says. Peter then gets to Cornelius' house. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Notice the heart. Notice the attitude of these men. These are both humble men who are prepared for what God has next in their life. Soon as Cornelius meets Peter, he falls on his face and says, Oh, it's so good to see. He don't even know what he's going to tell him. He don't have no reason to know what. He's just, he's just honoring. He just honors him. And Peter, notice this. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Peter says, Don't be bowing to me. That's so different from the Pope, ain't it? If he really going to be a Pope, a Peter Pope, then you better not see yourself as better than nobody. Just saying. I'm just trying to stay biblical. He said, stand. I'm a man just like you. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Cornelius had invited all his friends, his family, everybody, because Cornelius was influential. Remember I asked you a while ago, as a manager, tell me somebody you've influenced. Tell me somebody you've... I'll tell you, Cornelius could fill a house. That's how influential Cornelius was. Cornelius could send out the letter and say, look, i got a man coming tonight. It's very important that you be here. And I guarantee you half the people that he knew, all those friends said, we got to go. Why? Cornelius told us to be there. Why? Because he had that ability. He was management material. While talking to him, go back to that verse, while talking to him, a large gathering of people. Next verse. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against the law for me, a Jew, to associate with you, visit you Gentiles. First thing Peter tells them is a cut down. He looks at them and says, now y'all know what the handbook says. Handbook says I ain't supposed to be here. I'm not even supposed to be in this house. I'm not even supposed to associate with y'all. But God has showed me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. He said, but I'm learning. I'm listening to the boss. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask you uh, why you sent for me? At this moment, Cornelius begins to tell him, I had a vision. I I was told to come see you, come get you here. Peter begins to preach. He preaches about Jesus Christ. He tells him that Jesus was crucified. He tells him that Jesus rose from the dead. That Jesus is the one that all this noise that you're hearing about is going on. And as he's preaching, and as he's going, go to verse 44. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on the, on who? How well of a disciple are you think Cornelius was? In that room, there wasn't nobody falling asleep. There wasn't nobody being sarcastic. Wasn't nobody worried about hurrying up, get through during the sermon so we can get to lunch. Cornelius had done a good job of discipling. Everybody in that room was so attentive that when Peter got to a certain part of his message, the Holy Spirit said, I got it from here. And while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
The circumcised believers, that's the ones that came from Joppa. They said, we got to see this. So they came with Peter to see what was going to happen. When they saw this, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. You got people falling out. You got people speaking in tongues. You got people praying in other languages. I mean, it is, it's, it's chaos in there. And these people have no idea what they're doing because they're Gentile. They, they weren't at Pentecost. They aren't Jewish. I mean, they, this is just, and so they're like, what in the world? Verse 46, for they heard them speak in in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. And they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter, listen to this. I love this part because it's the perfect ending to really what this story is about. Then at the end, after all, they've been baptized in water. They've all been filled with the Holy Ghost. It's, it's all, it's just, it's, it's a good thing. And they look over at this man who isn't even supposed to be in their house. And they look at him and they say, Would you stay with us a few days? Would you stay at our house a few days? And the man once who wouldn't walk in their house says, Yes. And the people who once were not part of the family wanted him to stay. Both of them got their promotion. Peter became one of the most influential part of the young disciples. Why? Because later they'll have a meeting in Jerusalem and they'll be determining what the Gentiles need to do. And guess who stands up and tells them, guys, let me tell you what happened to me. It'll be Peter. What God is looking for is managers and stewards. I thought this was about money. It's about, it is. But it's about all the other parts of your life too. It's about God just giving you all the gifts and things that He's put in your life and you realizing that they're just on loan from God. They belong to Him. And I'm responsible for using them for the best of my abilities. Until the day once I have to stand before him. And he says either well done. Or he says what in the world were you doing? I don't know about you. But one day when I stand in front of him. I want him to say Tim. You were a good steward. Tim. You managed my stuff well. I don't want to stand in front of everybody and y'all be there and have those people be standing around and him look at me and say, Tim, dead gummit, son. There's so much I tried to get through you, but you kept clogging it up. There were so many needs that needed to be met, but you kept clogging it up. You knew I had it. If I was to ask you, you think God, oh, God can do anything. You knew I could do it. And you knew there was a need. Why why didn't you let me flow? Why didn't you invest it so that I could do great things? Will you bow your heads? Father, God, today, this is as far as I go on this, but there's not a person in this room today that is not gifted or talented that they don't have a call on their life to, to be and accomplish. And all of it is for one purpose. It's so that you might receive glory from our life. Whether we are to be great parents and raise great kids, that's a call. Whether we're to sing or teach or preach, or whether we're to just clean up on the outside and be the greatest steward we can be. That's our call. Father, none of the stuff that I have right now I will take with me one day. But as I've said through this series, I hope that they get this, I will die broke. I will die broke. But God, I want to leave this world filthy rich. I want to know that my rewards are ahead of me. Not the ones that lasted 50 years on this world, but are the ones that will last through eternity in the world to come. I want to be rich in you.
Father, that's my prayer for every person here. I want them to enjoy their life. I hope that you bless them in everything they touch and all their businesses and everything that they work. I hope you bless them. But God, if you bless them only for them to be like the man who says, my barns and my stuff and my house and my... God, they'll never find joy. And they'll die broke. And they'll leave broke. Father, this morning, let it soak in their heart that they are managers, stewards to the family business, stewards to the Father's stuff. And let them adjust their lives accordingly and become a conduit for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hey, go give that old devil fits.